Morning. How are we doing? Oh, good to see everybody. My name's Stephen, if you don't know me. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. That'll be our primary text for this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Exceedingly Righteous. Exceedingly Righteous. And uh, the point of this series is going back to Jesus' words where he said these words. Uh, Unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. It's a... Incredible phrase, an incredible phrase because in that day and age, metaphorically, it'd be like somebody saying to you, uh, unless your athleticism exceed that of LeBron James, or if you're a businessman, unless your wealth and influence exceed that of Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon. I mean, the, the hearers would have heard that and say, this is impossible. No one's righteousness can exceed that of the Pharisees. This is not likely. And they were right. I mean, to have a righteousness that exceeded the Pharisees when you were measuring it by the Pharisees' righteousness would be nearly impossible. They were incredible law keepers. They knew it in and out. Uh, They had changed it through their commentary, the Mishnah and the Talmud, throughout centuries, and then they knew it and they lived by it. And then Jesus shows up and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, Now, throughout the teaching, what we find out is that Jesus is not talking about um, having a better outside or external righteousness. What he's talking about is a different type of righteousness that is greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees, an internal righteousness, a righteousness of the heart. And so for the first six weeks, uh, we've walked through Matthew chapter 5, and in each of these weeks, Jesus takes an idea that they had heard in the past, and he says, here's the greater idea. And what he was revealing was sins of the heart. Yeah, maybe you didn't kill him, but you hate him. Yeah, maybe you didn't uh, commit adultery or, or, or whatever, but you lusted in your heart. And so Jesus attacks the sins of the heart. He makes us stop and think, not just what am I doing on the outside, but what lurks underneath. Today, Even in the book, it goes from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6. A new chapter starts, but it's a new idea, a different idea. Now, Jesus isn't attacking just the sins of the heart. Jesus begins to attack something else, something that I think is uh, even harder for us us to grasp, for us to, to do. Jesus starts off with beware. He hasn't used this term in chapter five. He didn't tell them to beware or uh, on alert for something. But what he starts here, beware, and then he gets into it later. He keeps using this term. And what he's saying is this, watch out for this one. Because even more dangerous than sins that lurk underneath, even more dangerous than that, what could be more dangerous than sin lurking underneath? He says, no, even more dangerous than sin lurking underneath is self-righteousness lurking underneath. So Jesus here won't talk about why don't you do the good things or the bad things that you don't do. Instead, he's gonna ask this question. Why do you do the good things that you do? A much tougher question. A question that doesn't make us ask what sin is there. A question that makes us ask, what is my motive for even the good things? Even the good things that I do. And he's going to walk through some of the best. Giving to the poor. Praying. Fasting. I mean, imagine today if somebody walked in and and you asked them about their faith and they said, I give generously to the poor. I, I pray. I fast. 
And then they walk through the, 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 the rest of the line in modern day. I don't watch rated R movies. I only listen to Christian music. Uh, I don't drink. I blank, 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 blank. Here's what never happens once in the New Testament. Jesus never looks at a genuine follower of Christ caught up in sin and blasts them. Never. Here's what he does routinely. He finds people who profess faith in him, who profess godliness, but have self-righteous motives underneath. Jesus attacks more the person who appears good than the person who's caught in sin. This is convicting. Why? Because the person that Jesus' finger is pointed at right now gives money to the poor, prays eloquently, and fasts. That person would walk in today and we'd say, what a great church attender. Let's put you on stage. Let's give you a title. Let's make you an elder. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out that you don't become that. He says, beware. Be on guard. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. He's, he's questioning the motives of our good deeds. This phrase, practicing your righteousness, would be like um, play acting. Uh, the, the idea was um, for them to, like, to see somebody in a play acting out in front of an audience. What Jesus is saying here is this, beware that your Christianity become a scam. Beware uh, that, uh, and I think he says beware because it almost happens unbeknownst to us. We think we're doing the right thing. We think we're acting godly. And all of a sudden, uh, there's a self-righteous veil that comes over us that, that thinks of ourselves as better than those who aren't in or those who don't do what we do. Well, they don't live their faith like I do. And Jesus looks at him and says, beware of this. Beware of your good deeds. They can actually take you from me. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware uh, of creating a play-like Christianity. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Saying, what's your real motivation? And he's going to go on and he, he's going to say, you give to be seen by others. You pray to try to deceive me, God says. He actually talks about it from a widespread or, or a whole person. And he says, sometimes you play in front of others. Sometimes you uh, play Christianity in front of me. And sometimes you play Christianity even in front of yourself. Just beware of this. It says, if you do it that way, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If you live your faith like that, there will be no reward. If your faith is just, if it's just an external show, well, then you'll have nothing to show for it. He says, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What he's saying is someday, a preacher, I pray it's not me, will show up in heaven and say, I preached every week for you. Whether it was in front of 550, 500, 5,000, 50,000, it doesn't matter. And God will look back and say, no, you didn't. No, that was for the Facebook friends. That was because people said it was nice. That was for a paycheck. 
I sang for you every week. Not me, somebody else. No, you didn't. That was for the fame it gave you. That was for the feeling you got inside. That wasn't for me. I served, I, I gave, we did whatever. I said, no, that wasn't for me. That was for them. Or that was for you. That wasn't for me. I'll say. He says, you'll have no reward. In other words, the, the, that Facebook friend that you got, that was your reward. That newspaper clip from the big gifts you gave, that was your reward. That's it. Then it's over. Jesus says, let me teach you a greater way. Let me teach you a, a better way. And for all of us, what we should see here is Jesus setting up a discussion about a faith that is real about a faith that doesn't play a Christian on TV or on Sunday morning, but a faith that gets to the heart. Not just because of what we don't do, but the why we do what we do. So Jesus says, this is how you do it. Now, in particular, he's going to talk about giving generously to the poor. And this teaching will be about that, but, but in there you should also be asking yourself the question, why do I do anything that I do? Why am I nice? Why do I show up? Fill in the blank. He says, thus, when you give, notice he says when, not if. There's a, uh, throughout the entire teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, and then in the Old Testament as well, um, there is over and over an emphasis on taking care that Christians take care of the poor and the needy. That this is uh, a part of the joy and I will use the word obligation uh, in, in a right sense of being a follower of Christ. He says, when you give to the needy. Now in the New Testament, there are two types of giving, generally speaking, categorically. Two types. The first, uh, as explained in 1 Corinthians 16, is a systematic, planned out um, giving or approach to the church. You can study that on your own, 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, this is something that every follower of Christ uh, involved in the body of Christ should do. Here's what you can't do. Here's what I can't do in the New Testament. I can't tell you what percentage that is. In fact, um, I think here's the conviction I fall under. Um, when the church, when the church, okay, or an authority figure um, tries uh, to use text to manipulate people into giving 10% and they arrive at a conclusion that then they will give 10%, right? Um, so as to meet the obligation of the membership or, or, or the conviction that they sat under from a leader. That in fact, that could lead to you giving in sin. And that, uh, uh, that because in the New Testament, we give under grace, that any type of teaching that moves somebody to give 10% for the sake of the entity or the organization um, uh, could lead to being the opposite of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that says that all giving is personal and should be done out of the overflow of the heart, not under compulsion. In fact, Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus is going to say, um, don't lead people into sin. Anyone who leads somebody into sin, it's better for a millstone to be tied around them than thrown into an ocean. In other words, that would be on the person who would manipulate people into giving 10% out of guilt. First set of giving is to the church. And Jesus says, you should do that. In 1 Corinthians 16, it's affirmed. How much? Well, that's up to you and God. Now, Jesus is talking more specifically about a different type. He's saying, when you give to the needy. When you give to the needy. Now, let's just all take a moment and talk about who the needy are. Okay. 
The needy does not classify as anything that you would probably put on GoFundMe, okay? If you're trying to pay for your vacation or your tuition or whatever else it might be, that probably doesn't count as needy. Christians, you don't have to feel obligated to give to every little thing that pops up on your Facebook, okay? Take a deep breath. It's okay to scroll past. The needy are those who are truly needy for sustenance, for life. The needy. Oh, and Jesus teaches us to have a heart for them. Why? Because spiritually speaking, we were them. We were needy and Christ had a heart for us. He says, give to them. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, uh, there's debate on what Jesus is referring to. If you've seen the movie Aladdin, you know, when he comes into town the first time, he's got the elephants and everything's going crazy and he's throwing gold out and all the poor uh, people are running up and grabbing the gold. And there were um, instances in that culture where uh, the rich people would walk into town and whether it was um, their motivation or it just happened, people would see the rich people walking through streets and start blowing trumpets and um, all the poor people would come running and then they'd throw money out. So some people think, oh, that's what he was talking about. Other people think that the boxes in the temple actually looked like trumpets. And so when you dropped money in there, coins, it would make a lot of noise. And so if you dropped enough in, people would go, because it'd be making a lot of noise and they'd look at you. Now, whatever Jesus is uh, talking about here, if he's pointing to a different uh, particular thing or he's just uh, speaking uh, hyperbole, the, the point that Jesus is making is this. Watch out that your generosity, or I'll say anything else that you do, is not being done for others. That that's not your motivation, that you might be praised by others. Now, what might that mean? It might mean that we have to check certain things in our heart, certain conversations. I overheard somebody, um, this was months ago now, and they were bragging about a certain celebrity that they were going to play golf at at a Christian golf outing. And I thought, well, whatever amount of money you give, you just wasted it. Why? Because now what this passage is saying is God looks at that gift and says, no, 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 the selfie with the celebrity, that was your reward. Not whatever you gave. That went out the window the moment you began to brag about it. It's asking the question, why? Why? It might mean not posting things to Facebook under the term community impact. It might mean uh, not having the press release so everyone knows about it. I mean, it could mean a lot of different things at a lot of different levels. But the question will always come back to not what you did, but why? What was the motive underneath this is what Jesus is concerned about. Why do you do the good things that you do? He says, don't do that. Don't do it that you might be praised by other people. Now, the, the presence of praise doesn't necessarily mean that that's why you did it. So the presence of praise um, doesn't mean that it's null and void. It means that that was your motivation to get that. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The term there is like the receipt is paid in full. In other words, it's like the idea of going to um, heaven one day and saying, Jesus, I did this for you. And he said, no, you didn't. Nope, you've already got your payment. You got to eat first at the event. You got to go to the private party. Whatever it was, that was your payment. 
I have nothing left for you. Jesus hasn't said do it this way. He says, but when, again, when, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And what does that mean? How is that possible? Uh, two things or two ideas uh, on the left hand and the right hand. Uh, the first, uh, left hand and the right hand as being people who are in proximity to you. And I think what he's, uh, Jesus is saying there is he's challenging us to say, hey, listen, even if you don't blast it all over Facebook or, or blast it all over the news, do you slip it into conversation one-on-one? Do you drop it in and say, well, you know, yeah, we, we give a lot to that. Well, yeah, you know, we give a lot to, or we give a little or whatever. Yeah, we gave to you. Why? He's asking you, why in that moment are you doing that? Is it so you receive some type of affirmation back? Well, then that affirmation you get is all you get. It's all you get. Now, another thing on the left and the right hand could be this. Um, uh, like, actually, like, uh, you're walking down the street or, you know, they're walking down the street, they got their money pouch, they see somebody in need, the right hand pulls out some money and gives, and they keep walking, and later on, the, uh, they see something that they want in the market with their left hand, the left hand goes, I want this, and the right hand goes, oh, we don't have any left. We gave it out back there. What's the idea? The idea is, uh, there are times in your life, follower of Christ, there should be, there are times in your life when you feel the um, compulsion of the Holy Spirit to give. And the Holy Spirit just says, give, give, give generously, give to the needy, give to this cause, whatever it might be. And instead of giving, what we do is we stop and we let the rest of the body, the mind, the heart, the Excel doc, the bank account catch up. And instead of just responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting to give, we stop and say, well, how can I work this out to make sure that it doesn't actually cost me anything? Maybe I can just uh, adjust a few things over here, adjust a few things over there, and then I can give, and it won't actually even cost. Or, or, or I could give, but what I'll do is I'll align everything like this, and so the tax breaks will be in such a way that it doesn't even cost me actually anything. All of a sudden, the left hand is caught up. Now, I'm not telling you to never do due diligence in your giving or to take advantages of things, whatever that. The point is, when the Holy Spirit says, give, to give. To not overthink it. To not overanalyze it. Just say, you told me, and I will. He says, if you do that. Now, this is Jesus speaking. I know we live in this hypersensitive culture to anything that sniffs of prosperity gospel. But this is Jesus. He says, if you do that and your giving is done in secret, He says, and your father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. Reward you. All throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, gospels, uh, epistles, there seems to be this connection between how somebody handles their money and blessings poured out by God. You can't deny it throughout the scriptures. That's why we read the three that we read, Proverbs 24, Proverbs 28, and Psalm 41. And the first type of reward that seems to be implied in the scripture is an earthly reward. In Proverbs 24, it was those who give in this way. By the way, it's not saying those who tithe because you can tithe and not give in this way. You can tithe 10% and it not come from this. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is saying you give from the heart in this way. The widow's might. <laughs> you could uh, give less than a tithe, more than a tithe, whatever it might be, and it has to come from a place of the heart. He says, those who give biblically like this generously, well, what? 
have plenty. They will have plenty. They will have plenty. High school students, you probably all want to be rich someday. College students, you probably all want to be rich someday. Here you go. Jesus just told you how to do it. He just told you how to do it. Has nothing to do with your 401k. Has everything to do with learning how to be generous in accordance with the way God would have you do it. He says, you'll have plenty. Now, here's what I can tell you. I know people who make 60,000 who think they have plenty. And I know people who make 600 who think they don't have nearly enough. Why? Because plenty is not a number. It's not a number. In the next passage in Proverbs 28, he says, if you give in this way, you will know contentment. Let me ask you. Some of you will say the latter, <laughs> and that reveals something. Would you rather have 70,000 a year and be content or 700,000 and want more? Jesus is saying, if you give in this way, it'll teach you contentment. Regardless of how much you make, it'll teach you that. You will, and he doesn't actually say it'll teach you that. He it, you will have it. You'll just have it. Your heart will be changed in such a way. Psalm 41 said, those who give in this way have a protection. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you can look back at certain points in your life and you've given this way for years. All right? And you don't give this way so that you get these three things, by the way. <laughs> if that's what your thought is, why don't we start tithing? Because I want those three things. Missed the point. Missed the point. It's not a formula. It's not a formula. Some of you know this. There have been seasons of your life where you look at it and you go, I do not know how this happened. And God's like, I got you. I got you because of this. I'll protect you. I, I am so excited when we all, I don't know if this is actually in the Bible, but when, this is some of you like, whoa. <laughs> okay. Um, I look for, I hope this happens. I hope we get up to heaven someday and God shows us, um, I first came up with this metaphor when there was TiVo. So God shows us a TiVo, okay, of all of the things that were going to happen to us right? Like, like we were walking and there was a, um, a, you know, poisonous bug that was about to bite us and God goes, Boop! like all these things that were going to happen to us that we had no idea about. And God was just clearing the path without us knowing. Yeah, there's rewards, earthly ones, spiritual rewards. There's spiritual rewards to this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, everyone's favorite verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Amen. Put it on your cup. Post it on Facebook. What are the next two verses about? Your money. Why? Because the whole verse is about money. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is all about money. Verse 7 and 8, he says, now trust me in this way. So there's spiritual rewards. What? We know his will. He directs our path. He guides us when we do this. Said in the negative, don't trust somebody spiritually who doesn't have a handle on their finances. In both of Paul's writings, both of Paul's writings on what it looks like to be a godly leader, he says this. 
Jesus spends ample time talking about the heart of this. If somebody can't handle their finances in a way that honors God, and by the way, you can't dictate that based upon what they drive or, or, or even how much they give. You don't know. But if there's a materialistic spirit, if there's an insatiable need for more, 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 so what are the rewards? Spiritual insight, spiritual leadership, I think, according to uh, both Titus and 1 Timothy. And there's eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. I think these eternal rewards kind of work like your Panera loyalty card, okay? Because your Panera loyalty card makes absolutely no sense, right? You're gone for six months, you get there, and they're like, the whole menu's free. You're like, why? I don't understand. Right? You go every day, you get nothing, (laughs) right? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But every once in a while, you show up, and they're like, you have a free cookie, and you're like, manna from heaven. Thank you. (laughs) Listen, these spiritual rewards, I I don't understand them. I can't tell you what they are, but I can tell you that they're real. And I can tell you that when you get up there, you don't want to be the person in the previous few verses who walks up there and you feel like you have a book full of good things that you did. And Jesus says, nope. You already got paid for all that. You know what you want to be? You want to be the person in Matthew 25 who goes, wait, 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 wait. When did I do that for you? When did I do that for you? I don't remember that. And Jesus goes, oh, no, you did. I remember it. You want to go up there and you think your book's empty and Jesus goes, take some cookies. <laughs> and maybe you wonder why, but why would I even be generous? Why? Because you, I hope, can see yourself as needy as the person on the side of the road. I hope that you can see yourself as needy as the person in the part of town that you avoid. In fact, according to Jesus' words, if we don't have a picture of ourselves as that spiritually needy and bankrupt, then we don't even enter into the kingdom. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who realize that their righteousness accounts to nothing. Nothing that apart from Christ, you are completely spiritually impoverished. And into that heart, he pours out the riches of his grace. He gives you plenty. You will have so much from him that you will be content. You will have the divine protection of your heavenly father. So give in this way.